I don't know whether you're aware of it, but, um, you know, as this COVID-19 goes on and another lockdown comes in, and by the way, for the very first time ever on RTE last night on primetime, and I, I think I can say that ever, I saw a very balanced debate uh, last night. There were professors allowed on to basically say the whole thing is a load of nonsense, whereas other professors or other, well, neuroscientists said it wasn't and called for a 10 to 12 uh, week lockdown. Uh, but last night, I wanted to mention this because I think it's fair we mentioned it, and I'm, when all this is over and all this is done, I want people to remember those who stood up and those who challenged the government and didn't just run with the herd. Uh, some of those people, the likes of Pat O'Tobian, uh, Matty McGrath has stood up in the doll, and more recently, and probably throughout this whole thing, one man who has challenged the government and questioned things. I'm not saying that he's disrespected the government or undermining the authority of the state, but certainly has questioned things, is uh, TD Michael McNamara. I'm going to talk to Michael in a second, and if you bear with me, Michael, uh, I just want to give you a little bit of a listen to the audio uh, from the doll yesterday, and this is what he had to say. Giving TDs 50 seconds each to debate what is the most fundamental set of restrictions to rights in this state in its history is not democracy. I agree with the points that Deputy Kieran O'Donnell made earlier. I disagree with him to the extent that until the questions he asked are answered, and I don't expect that you're going to answer them, Minister Donnelly, but until they're answered, I don't think we should be rolling over further powers. But I agree very much with the points and the questions that he raised. But we do need to debate this. And if we don't debate it in this chamber, where is it to be debated? Is it to be debated on social media, where people are just attacking each other? Is it to be debated outside the gates of Leinster House, by violent groups attacking each other? I want to be abundantly clear. I abhor violence. And in particular, political violence, because it brings people down a cul-de-sac of destruction. But if you, the government, do not allow us time to debate this in this house, it will be debated elsewhere. Don't condone it. I don't sympathise with it. I simply make the point that this... I grew up in a house where we were fundamentally proud of the fact, because my parents were elderly, they were of a generation that believed it was a fantastic thing that we had the right to determine our own affairs and we had a doll in this country which would determine it, could determine its affairs. And today, to me, represents the most fundamental failing of that state in its history. Yes, the state has a duty to protect the health and the lives of its citizens, but it equally has a duty to allow people to get about their lives and develop systems to keep them safe while they go about their lives. And the state has singularly failed to do that, failed to take any measures, failed to learn anything from the nursing homes, failed to look at the recommendations of a COVID committee. 19 TDs, not me, 19 TDs from your group. Well, it goes on and on and on, and he gets quite angry and passionate, by the way, can I say, but Michael Mara TD, uh, Michael Mara TD joins me on the line. Michael, uh, good afternoon to you. Good afternoon. Uh, Michael, you got very passionate yesterday in the doll, and I think your main point that you're making, I know you did talk a little bit later on about a priest uh, committing a criminal offence by opening his doors for people to pray, but your main point was the lack of debate. Is that frustrating you? It is. I mean, you know, we spend hours, we allow hours to to debate a, a European uh, 
council meeting conclusions. Um, the Minister for European Affairs came back from the latest council meeting saying that we need to debate rule of law in Poland. Um, the German Speaker of the Parliament recently, I mean, this is a huge debate in Germany too, uh, in a very unprecedented step. He's the second most senior constitutional figure in the land, said that the Parliament needs to take back control of this from the executive. And what we have done is just roll over the power to the government, the executive, to just make regulations without any input from TDs who are elected democratically and you know, mm -hmm. we all have our strengths and weaknesses, but we do have a mandate uh, and we can be gotten rid of when the people want to get rid of us and replace us with somebody else. Without any input from those TDs, the minister can now impose further lockdowns and restrictions uh, and uh, tweak regulations, uh, bring in stupid regulations like uh, saying that you can uh, drink in a bar uh, uh, if you have a, a substantial meal, define what that is and say you can't if you don't and there's supposed to be some public health difference between the two, a regulation that says that... Um, 111 minutes is more dangerous than 108. Yeah, or that horse racing will go ahead, but elite, um, we have an Olympic team um, uh, prepare, or we have a team preparing for the Olympics in show jumping, and it's not even clear whether they can continue I, I, to I, I don't know whether, you, did you watch Prime Time last night? I, I didn't have the opportunity okay. because we were... Um, okay, we were it, was, it was probably the first day. time I've noticed on Primetime that RT have actually allowed a debate and allowed... Now, in fairness, I, I know they had Thomas Ryan on, uh, who almost seems like the doom, doomsday or the Grim Reaper in some sense. I mean, talking about extending the lockdown to 12 weeks and closing the schools to get this kind of fantasy idea of a zero COVID. And, and they had Professor John Lee on, who's a pathologist from the United Kingdom, and gave cold hard facts and said that we're actually afraid now in this country to die. He said, we've got to a point where we've instilled so much fear in people that we're afraid, we're afraid of death. We've, we've become afraid of death. And he said, we have to accept the fact that people do die, particularly end of life, that people do die. And he gave the cold hard data and the facts in relation to COVID-19. And he said, and this is what uh, Martin Freely said as well, that under the age of 70, the data clearly states that it is less dangerous than influenza. Over the age of 70, he said, in and around the same, maybe a tiny bit more. They're not sure yet. They need a little bit more data as over. Now, the last time Martin Freely said that in the HSE, of course, he was asked to resign. He was told his position would be untenable. Uh, a very intelligent man who was a clinical director of a hospital for many years, who so obviously a very trusted man. Um, do you find that people are afraid? And I know there's other uh, doctors in this country who are afraid to open their mouths because they lose their jobs. I've spoken to one very eminent professor on this show. And off the record, he told us, he said, listen, I'd love to say more, but I can't. Look, I mean, firstly, on, 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 on um, Dr. Thomas Ryan of Trinity College Dublin, I mean, I fundamentally disagree with him on uh, the approach that he advocates, but I, I believe he sincerely holds the view that it is the correct approach, mm. uh, just as many doctors uh, hold that view, but equally, many doctors hold a different view. And I've received calls from doctors uh, in Ireland who are afraid to speak out, and I have said to them on those calls, well, look, I can say what I can say, uh, um, but I'm not a doctor. And, you know, if you would speak out, it would have so much more weight. And they said, I can't. I will lose my job. I need to keep but my what, job. What, what sort of say, I mean, what happened to democracy? What happened to a society? I mean, when we look back at, say, the Morris McCabe story, uh, here was a man within the Garda Khan who disagreed with the policy of Garda Khan and noticed there was problems within the force, uh, stood up and was castigated for it and vil vilified for it. And thankfully, in the end, we all realised that Martin McCabe was the innocent man who was vilified. Now we have a situation where Martin Feely steps up in the HSE and says, there's something wrong here. We need to talk about this. Look, he might be wrong, but let's debate it. Let's talk about it like grown-ups. And I'm sorry, you have to go now. I mean, have we got to a point where people are actually afraid to speak up about the policies within their own department? Yes. 
I mean, that's a shocking indictment of the society we live in. And by the way, can I say, when you were speaking last night so passionately, the one thing I did notice was Stephen Donnelly never once looked at you. He looked with his head down. I mean, is Stephen Donnelly, does he believe he doesn't need to listen to anybody else? Is that, is that what it's come to now? I, I I don't know. I don't think so. I mean, I, in terms I thought it was quite Stephen Donnelly, I would imagine he's um, he's swamped by the. Um, I mean, he 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 disagreed with my interpretation of the statutory instrument that he had just signed the night before. But I pointed out to him that I'm fairly certain I was correct. I read it out to him. I mean, it's it's quite clear. Um, he, you know, he, I, um, I, I, you know, I, I'm just trying to be fair to him. I mean, I, I think he is. Uh, Swamped uh, by the enormity of the situation and by a number of, uh, you know, I, well, I mean, Michael, what, what do you think should happen? We're now in a six-week lockdown, but many businesses not going well, to reopen. I, I mean, think, this is their prime time for making money coming up to Christmas. So, what do you what do you think should have happened? I, I just think we need to redouble our efforts to to encourage people to take away the laws that can't be implemented, that won't be implemented, that can't be implemented. Like You cannot police public health. I mean, if it's something is, how do you force somebody to wash their hands? Arungar the Shikana, I mean, okay, I'm not suggesting that's in the law, but ultimately, washing your hands and keeping a safe social distance are the two key measures. They have been the key measures from the start until now. And they're common, and and they're gotten, com- and they're common sense. And they're common sense. Yeah. And they apply not just to uh, to to um, um, to uh, COVID nineteen, but to other coronaviruses Absolutely. and to influenza and other respiratory illnesses. Um, but we have forgotten about that, lost account of that, and gotten lost in a myriad of increasingly complex and silly regulations, which are and now we're depriving people of the right to move within the state. Uh, it wasn't clear to me that you have a right to leave the state under the regulations. It seems to me that you it's questionable the way it's framed, the regulations, Uh, and we are impacting on people's right to earn a livelihood. Now, it is people earning a livelihood and paying taxes that keep the education system going, keep Ungarda Shikana going, and most fundamentally keep um, the health system going. And we need to keep that, not to lose sight of that, and we have utterly lost sight of that. Um, Like, we're now transferring, we're saying we don't have capacity in our healthcare system to to deal with this. So we're going to land it all over into the guards to police this, as if there is infinite capacity in the Gardaí. There isn't. I mean, uh, there is a finite capacity in Ungarda Shikana to do the job that they were trained to do, and that they do day in, day out, without adding to this. I mean, we're heading into a season of longer nights, uh, when, uh, for good reason, isolated people in rural Ireland feel more vulnerable and are frightened. And Ungarda Shikana have a, a, a role to play in that and an important role which they do play. But my point is that they have so much work to do in so many areas that this giving them all these powers and expecting them to exercise those powers is not realistic. Are we, are we getting, are we getting to a point economically, Michael, where we're getting to a point of no return? In other words, you know, if all this stopped tomorrow and we dealt with it, I mean, it seems like the people are paying the price for a bad health service in Ireland. That's what it seems like to me. That we're, I mean, if we look at the actual data breakdown, the majority of people in this country are not at risk from COVID-19. And that's a fact. And I don't care if anyone wants to dispute it. They can dispute it if they want. The the vast majority of people in this country are not at risk from COVID-19. The mortality rate in COVID-19 is nowhere near what it was suggested. At the start, we thought this was going to be like the bloody plague, for example. But now we know the mortality rate is 
quite a substantial amount lower. Actually, it's not too much higher than the flu overall when we take the different groups into, into consideration. But we're treating it still like we were treating it back in March, which is like the plague. I mean, at some point, this has to stop. Otherwise, we will be broke. Look, firstly, I, 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 I disagree with you. The major- everybody in Ireland is at risk of COVID-19, but for the majority, the risk is low statistically. Of, of 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 getting a serious illness and developing serious complications, but everybody's at risk. But that 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 risk is low for the majority. You can, you um, can say that about walking out the door, Michael. I mean, really. Oh, you, re- you can say that about any illness. Well, that's well, that's what I'm saying. I mean, when, when and I know you're disagreeing with me in some sense, but I mean, when we look at say the zero to nineteen year age, group, it's, it's about a proportionate response, and our response to COVID nineteen is not proportionate, yeah. and it is going to do enormous damage. And um, I've been pilloried for suggesting that we stopped. Um, collecting data uh, on uh, self-harm and suicide uh, during... Well, you, were, you, were, you know you were fact-checked by the journal, don't you? Well, look, and, and the, I do the, reality find, is, yeah. the reality is that those who collect that data are, were not considered to be essential workers during the lockdown, and therefore they weren't collecting the data. And now, as we roll over mental health uh, restrictions, uh, amendments to the Mental Health Act, as we roll over restrictions ha- that have a, a broader effect on society, we have no data on the entirety of the period of the lockdown, and we have no data on suicides during that period. Now, I don't know whether suicides have increased or decreased. I've heard a lot of people talking about suicide, and not on social media, but in my community. Anecdotal stories, Ordinary yes. people talking about the impact that this is having on their friends, on their neighbours, and sadly saying, did you hear about X? Did you hear about this person? Did you hear about that person? But we have no data, and that is a failing of the state. And, okay, criticise me for pointing out that failing, but it is a failing. It's not the failing of the individual data collectors who were told, you're not essential workers, go home. And, and, and it wasn't like their bosses that told them that. It was the state and the regulations that well, made Okay, before I go in, I, mean, I want to ask you about the Reactors Committee in a second, but the media and the role they have played in what has happened over the last seven or eight months, I think the media did a sterling job, certainly for the first couple of months, uh, rolling in there with the government and the guidelines and protecting everybody because we were unsure what we were dealing with. But at this stage now, when we've so much data and we can clearly see, thankfully, it wasn't as dangerous as we initially thought, what, what role do you think the media is playing now? Do you think the media are being fair? Are they being biased? Are they challenging it? Or what, what do you think is happening? Well, look, I mean, any media outlet um, is free to, to, to take an editorial line and to pursue that once they do so in a fair um, uh, and accurate, once their reporting is fair and accurate. I mean, but I suppose RT, because they're a state broadcaster and because they collect a licence fee, I think have a, a, a greater duty to balance. And, I mean, our team made it clear to Iraqis members, the Director General, in an email that they were going to carry out their role in the coming months, this is the start of the lockdown, to inform and unify the people. Now, the idea of unifying people, uh, I, I, I don't know exactly what was meant by that, um, but, you know, sort of... you know, Unifying unify, to, to comply in it with guidelines. Well, you can unify the people by, by uh, you know, sometimes... At, uh, the, the price of unifying people is to is to curtail debate. It wouldn't be good if that's the view that was taken. But certainly, I, I um, agree that increasingly on on, on many RT uh, current affairs programs, in particular, uh, both radio and telev- uh, television, um, there is um, uh, both sides are being allowed to express their view. And both there are two sides to this, and there are two sides uh, and differing views. And sometimes to look, you know, there are differing views in the media in the United Kingdom as there are 
are right across the world in the United States uh, and of course in uh, right across Europe where uh, mm-hmm. you know English is not the, the, the language that, that okay. of, of the media. Uh, and finally yeah. in relation to the, you chair of the Oireachtas Committee in relation mm. to COVID-19 um, do you believe the Oireachtas Committee from what you're saying last night um, it seems to be it completely fell on deaf ears you brought in many people including politicians TDs experts professors uh, many different people. yeah absolutely I watched a lot of it and it was very interesting to hear all the different sides of it but do you think it fell on deaf ears well, I mean, the government uh, effectively have a majority. They use that to control speaking time in the doll. Um, <clears throat> I was somewhat surprised, that given all the work, and not by me, but by uh, 19 TDs, uh, um, and indeed uh, that NEFA took time to answer questions, uh, that experts from around the world came to answer questions, um, that um, I, I see no sign in the... Um, policies being pursued by the government that any of what was said was considered because I accept that the state and as I did in, in the Dáil yesterday uh, have a fundamental right duty to protect lives and um, and the health of the population here but you know they have to do that in a way that least impacts upon the freedom of movement, the right to earn a livelihood, the right to invite your friends into your home, the right to have your family in your home, the right to visit your family, the right to go about your life. And there seems to be no consideration of the impairment of rights and the damage that that is doing across our economy and across our society. It's sort of a one-trick pony. Restrict, restrict, restrict. We have failed, to, and as the Oireachtas Committee repeatedly pointed out, we have failed to develop an adequate testing system. I note that the CMO is quoted in the media today saying, oh, well, you know, that's not so important. But we repeatedly heard from Irish experts and from international experts that testing and tracing were the key that uh, was a key item that the state had at its disposal to deal with this, uh, with, with the spread of COVID-19. So I'm a little surprised now to be hearing that, oh, well, it doesn't matter so much. And, you know, we couldn't possibly cope w- w- with what's happening anyway. Uh, if you look to other countries, and every country is affected by this. I'm not saying that Ireland is unique, but it is unique in the amount that our rights are being restricted, that our ability to go about our lives are being restricted, and other countries are putting measures in place by the state that we are failing to do. And I, There's a finite period of time that you can continue to punish a population for the failings of its government. And I don't just mean the government as in the, the government that was elected, but ultimately the government that's elected is, is responsible for the performance of the permanent government. Listen, thank you very much indeed, Michael, and I thank you on behalf of everybody with the way in Ireland, because um, it's, unfortunately there are very few TDs as yourself and one or two others who have challenged the state and asked the questions that people want asked. And whether they want to hear the answers or not is irrelevant, but it's the questions that just, we need asked. W- one point I would make, though, I mean, the, the, there are a number of TDs that I'm aware of who who, who hold views uh, that are completely different to mine and they hold them just as strongly as I hold mine. Mm. So, I mean, y- yes. you know, it's not that I appreciate everybody it. else... Oh, well, well, we've had them on too. So, yeah. uh, no, no, no. Yeah. I, I, sorry, I know that. I know that. Okay. All right, thank you very much. TD Michael McNamara.